Hey, this is Stephen, and I want to welcome you or welcome you back to the Grove Church Podcast. For more information or to find more resources like this one, be sure to visit us at grove.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope the following message is encouraging and meaningful to your life. Well, on the occasion of our third birthday, I think that we should do a little uh, inventory to take stock of maybe the life that has come and to anticipate and think about what lies before us. See, this is kind of a habit and a tradition that I do in my own life. On the eve and on the day of every birthday that I celebrate, I spend time just thinking about the life that I've lived, the last year, what it has looked like, some of the memories, the stories, the events that have happened throughout the course of my life, and maybe the ways that I've been proud of what's happened, or maybe the ways that I see the need to continue to grow, to develop, to improve. You just take a moment to just relive the last year. Acknowledge all that's happened, maybe all that hadn't happened that I wanted to happen, and kind of mourn the loss or celebrate the successes and the achievements. And then also to pivot and to reframe and to think about this next year, what I want the next year of life to look like, the goals, the hopes, the dreams that I have for my life, the ways that I want to achieve something new or try to grow in a different area to improve and the ways that I want to celebrate more and And so I think as a church, on the occasion of our third birthday, it would be appropriate for us to have a similar type of conversation. And so this morning, that's going to be where I take our message this morning, is just to spend a moment to think about the year that has been, but also to spend time painting a picture for the year that I believe is to come, the year that I think God is calling us to. Because I never want us to be the type of church where our memories are greater than our dreams, our hopes, our vision for the future. I never want us to be the church that spends time talking about the way that it used to be or how we how we did things in the past or all the great things we had accomplished. I want us to be a church that's committed to pursuing what God has next for us, to be the type of church and the type of people who are focused on where God is leading us next, what is in store for us just around the corner and who God is calling us to be as a church. Because this is a really easy year to kind of evaluate and to mourn the year that was. I mean, for, the, for six months, we hadn't been able to meet in person. This is kind of a forgettable year. This is a year that we just like to close the chapter on and move on from and not, not even think about it anymore. Just get to the next page, the next chapter, the next part of this story. Maybe for you, you feel this in your own life. I know in my circle of friends, we have often said, gosh, if we can only get to 2021, if we can just move past 2020 and get to the new year, maybe something will look different in our life. Not that there's anything hugely significant that changes from December 31st to January 1st, but there is this sense of a psychological shift that we're just ready for something new. We're ready to move forward. We're ready to get out of this place because this place that we're in and we have been in for the last seven months now is this place of kind of limitation, of scarcity, of kind of loss and suffering and difficulty and heartache. It has been a really hard year. And it's been the same for us as a church. You know, I was so excited as we started the beginning of our third year. We had so much momentum and there were so many great things that were happening and we had put a new building on our property for our expanding youth and confirmation programs and ministries and everything was going in the right direction and I was so encouraged and about all the things that were happening here at the church and all the things that we had prepared to do for this year. And then just like you, there was a big curveball 
and all of our lives were disrupted and stopped and halted and suspended for seven months as we are still navigating this pandemic and all of the, all of the uh, consequences that come from just the reality that we find ourselves in. And so it was, this has not been the easiest year to celebrate. Maybe the celebration comes in the sense that we made it, that we got through a year. Um, but I don't want us to be that kind of church. I want us to be a church that looks forward, that doesn't look back, that doesn't spend our time talking about the past, but is excited about the future. And so that's the story that we're going to look at in Scripture today. This is a story of an encounter with Jesus and people, and I think it paints for us beautifully kind of the tension that exists in our lives, whether we focus on the limitations that surround us or we are focused in anticipation of all that God could do in our midst not focusing on the scarcity, the things that we don't have, the resources that we lack, what isn't available to us, but looking at the abundance that exists and is provided in God and the way that God works through us. And so this morning, we're going to jump right into this story because I think it sets up perfectly where God is calling us and who God is calling us to be. And so if you're reading along with us at home this morning, we're going to be in the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. And we'll be in the sixth chapter of John. And so if you're with us online, on our online platform, you can click the little Bible feature and you can read along with us. And if you would just rather listen and let me do all of the heavy lifting this morning, I will be happy to do that as well. So we are in the Gospel of John in the sixth chapter, starting in the first verse. And this is the story that we see. Now, if you have spent any time growing up in church... You are going to be familiar with the story. It's going to strike you as maybe a little anticlimactic because you know how the story ends. And maybe you feel like you know the point of this story. But I hope that we can hear it and see it and experience it with new eyes and new ears and with a new heart this morning in light of who I think God is calling us to be in this next year here at The Grove. So hear these words. After this, Jesus went across the Sea of Galilee. Some call it Tiberias. Now, this is just kind of a geographic location. You see, there's the Sea of Galilee, and depends on which side of the Sea of Galilee you're on determines what they call the sea. If you're on the Jewish side of the sea, it's the Sea of Galilee. And if you're on the Gentile or the Greek side of the sea, it's called the Sea of Tiberias. And so this is just kind of indicating which part of the sea that Jesus was at. So they went across to the north side to the Sea of Tiberias. And a huge crowd followed him. And the reason that they followed Jesus would probably be the same reason that we might have been following Jesus during that time period. They were attracted by the miracles that they had seen him do among the sick. You can imagine that without access to any level of medical care, if you find out that there is somebody who is able to potentially heal you or heal a loved one, you're going to flock to it. That was probably one of the primary issues that they suffered and dealt with was just these nagging, lingering medical issues. You know, for us, we have these dock in a boxes and we can just run up and get a test or get some, a prescription filled or find out what's wrong with us immediately. But without access to, access to any medical care, when we find out that there's somebody who could heal us or who could heal our child or our parent, we would be attracted to this. And so people flocked in huge numbers to special springs or to special spots that they thought had healing medicinal properties. And the same is true when someone shows up like Jesus who is actually able to heal the body and the mind and the soul. And so they were attracted to Jesus. And so a huge crowd is following Jesus. 
And so when he gets to the other side, Jesus climbs the hill and he sits down and he's surrounded by his disciples. And then John gives this kind of time period note and it says, And it was nearly time for the feast of Passover, kept annually by the Jews. And then it moves on. And then Jesus, he looks out and he sees that a large crowd has arrived. Now some of the other Gospels, it should note that this is the only story outside of the resurrection and crucifixion of Jesus. This is the only other story that's mentioned in all four Gospels. Now there are lots of thoughts and reasons as to why that might be. But I think that as we'll see today, it speaks to, this story speaks to the nature of who God is and who we can be and find ourselves in in the life of God. And so this is a special story amongst all the Gospels. And I think part of the reason that I think it's appropriate for us this morning on the occasion of our birthday. And so Jesus looks out and he sees that a large crowd has arrived. Now the other disciples, or the other Gospels, they describe that in this moment when Jesus sees this crowd, that the disciples encourage Jesus to send these people away. Some of the other Gospels you know, note some of the details that it was late in the day, that they were in the middle of the wilderness, that there wasn't any, any establishments around. And so what you can imagine in that moment, if you place yourself in the story, is this large group of people has surrounded Jesus. They're in the middle of nowhere. They're past the city limits. There's not a convenience store or a Bucky's within 20 miles, and it's starting to get late in the day. And so naturally, they're like, well, these people need to leave. They need to go away, Jesus, because they're exhausted. They're tired. They've come a long way. It's probably hot out, and they're hungry. They're thirsty. And so Jesus sees that this large crowd is gathered. And so Jesus says to Philip as he recognizes all of these hungry, thirsty, searching people, these people who maybe physically are suffering, these people who are physically exhausted, who are physically in need, like us, they're also spiritually hungry. They're spiritually in need. And so we come from miles around in search of something that can satisfy us, that can feed us, that can nourish us. And so these people find themselves at the foot of Jesus. I think we can recognize in our own lives how often we find ourselves amidst the crowds of people who are searching, who are longing, who are looking, who are hungry, who are exhausted, and who are in need. My hope would be that we could be a people who would recognize where we can find that nourishment, that we can find that sustenance that doesn't leave us hungry after the next meal, that, that source that fully satisfies our hearts and our lives and our souls. And so this is what happens. Jesus sees all of these people gathered around, and he says to Philip, where can we buy bread to feed these people? And then the writer of the Gospel of John puts in this little note, kind of this narrator's note. He says, and he said this to stretch Philip's faith because he already knew what he was going to do. So Jesus looks at Philip. Uh, some commentaries say that he looked at Philip because Philip was from this area. So Philip, you know all the good restaurants in town. Philip, where are we going to buy enough bread to feed all these people? And so Philip, kind of being tested and stretched by Jesus in this moment, he answers. Now, before we get to Philip's answer, my guess is that Philip was a smart guy. He was probably shrewd and cunning and wise. And so Philip in this moment does the quick math because he gives a very specific answer. It's not just kind of this casual, I don't know, Jesus, but it's a very accurate answer. Philip answers. He says, we would need more than six months wages to feed all these people. 
If we had more than six months wages or 200 denarii, which is like 200 days worth of pay, if we, even if we had all of that, that wouldn't be enough to feed all of these people. It wouldn't be enough to buy bread for each person to get a piece. Like, we've got a problem, Jesus. So I think what's interesting here is Jesus asks Philip where they can go to buy bread to feed all of these people. And Philip immediately answers and identifies the cost of the task. He doesn't think about the source of bread. He doesn't think about the location of where these people could find nourishment, where they could find food. He thinks about how much it would cost. Now, I think this is interesting because I'm, I most identify with Philip in this story. I'm really good at identifying the limitations, the reasons why, the unlikelihoods, the impossibilities, the limits of the circumstances that I find myself in. Oftentimes, my, my team has this experience of me, so I apologize to them publicly, but they'll come up with an idea, and I am really adept at pointing out all of the reasons why that idea won't work or some of the problems that we have to solve in order to make that idea happen. I am really cunning and critical, to be honest, in the way that I'm able to identify the limits of things, the problems, the issues, the things that we're going to have to address if this is going to be able to move forward. My guess is maybe some of you are like this. You have been given the spiritual gift of cynicism or criticism, and you are really capable of identifying why things won't work and the cost of everything. You know, there's a quote that says that cynics know the cost of everything and the value of nothing. This is Philip in this moment. This is where I find myself in this story. I'm, I'm Philip in this story, and I, so maybe you are as well. But Jesus asks Philip, he says, Philip, where are we going to go to get bread for this? And Philip says, well, it's going to take X amount of money. It's going to take over six months' wages to feed these people. When God presents us with an opportunity, what does it say about us when we push back about all of the impossibilities? What does it say about us when God presents us with a chance to do something, to be a part of something great, and we say, no, God, it won't work for all of these reasons, when we respond back with and our rebuttal back is all of the limitations in our life. My hope would be that we wouldn't be that type of people. My hope would be that you wouldn't be in your own life. When you look at your own situation and you see all of the de de deficiencies and all of the limitations and all of the ways that life doesn't look like what you want it to, and you can picture all of the things that you wish you had or the ways that life did work, the question is, what do you see in that moment? Do you see scarcity? Do you see limitation? Or are we able to recognize the opportunity that presents itself? Are we able to recognize what could happen? Can we anticipate what, might, what God might do in our lives and in that moment? Philip, he kind of fails the test in that moment. This opportunity for his faith to be stretched, to trust in God, to do beyond what Philip can see, the limitations of Phil, Philip's own knowledge, his reasoning, his analytics, his math. And so then the writer of the Gospel, John, goes on and he says, one of the, one of the other disciples, and he names him, he says, it was Andrew, brother to Simon Peter, he comes up with a solution. He says, well, there is a little boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But then he goes on, he says, but what are they among so many people? So Andrew's a different kind of person. Andrew's the type of person that wants to believe in a solution, that wants to try to be positive and optimistic and find a way out of this. But he too, you know, succumbs to his own logic and reasoning. Now, it's important that we should note that 
the way that these children's Bible stories go, they present the little boy as the hero, which is fine. The little boy shows up and he, full of faith and courage, says, Jesus, here, take these from me. I think the reality of this story might be closer to Jesus is like, hey, we've got a lot of people to feed. Where are we going to go to find the bread? And the disciples panicked, realizing that there's no way that they can possibly provide all of the food for these people. They start scouring the crowd, and they see a little boy who brought his own lunch. And they're like, hey, give me that. And they take the bread, from, and, the bread and fish from the little boy, and they say, well, Jesus, we've got this. This little boy had it, and he's over there crying because they took his lunch. But in this moment, they say, well, Jesus, this is all we got. And it, it, we should note that these, uh, these barley loaves and these two fish, this is not like what you would see on the cover of you know, some cuisine magazine or in some you know, cooking show. These are not these large, beautiful, you know, you know, two-foot-long loaves of bread. These are like these small, thin barley loaves, which was like the lowest quality wheat and grain that existed. It was what they fed horses. And so what they're saying is literally, we have kind of the worst options possible and we only have a little bit of it. The best modern day equivalent in terms of the amount of food that they had would be like five tortillas and a little package of sardines. Like this is what we're talking about. This is what they show up to Jesus with. They've got 5,000 people there. Well, it's probably a lot more than that because they said it's 5,000 men. And so they said, listen, we got thousands and thousands of people to feed and we've got five tortillas and a little package of sardines i don't really know what you want us to do with this jesus but this is all we got so the question for us is you know who are we in this story are we philip are we like god it's going to cost way too much to do what you're calling us to do god it's, it's impossible for us to move forward or maybe we're like Andrew, we say, yeah, we've got some options, but they're not very good options. And we have all of the logic and reasoning as to why they're not going to be enough for all of the people. You see, nothing that Andrew or Philip said was wrong. Everything that they, they identified was correct. Those are all legitimate limitations. Those are all legitimate obstacles and problems that we would normally have to solve if we wanted to accomplish something in our life. And so they're not, they're not bad people. In the same way for us, when we have hopes and dreams, when we think about the way things could be, but we see all the reasons why it doesn't look like the way that we want it to, when we evaluate our marriage and we hope and long for a certain type of marriage that you know, we believe that God promised us and that God calls us to, but we look at the pieces and we count the loaves and we count the fish and we look at the gap between where we are and where we want to be, it's not wrong for identifying the limitations. It's not dishonest for speaking up and saying, I don't see how we're going to be able to cross the gap from where we are to God where you're calling us to be. Or maybe in your job search, maybe you're in a season where you're experiencing unemployment, whether it's due to kind of the immediate kind of economic cl climate or it's just something else that's happened. And you say, God, do you know how many applications I've put in? Do you know how many interviews I've gone to? I've been at this for week after week after week. God, don't you see the limitations that naturally exist? Don't you recognize exactly what's going on? Like, it's not dishonest. It's not um, wrong for us to recognize limitations. 
But I think what God is calling us to, and as we'll see in the rest of this story, God is calling us to something more, to something greater than an acknowledgement of the reasons why not. And so this is what happens next. Jesus looks at his disciples who have faithfully, earnestly tried to solve this problem that exists. They look at the, the world around them and they see all of the people gathered there and they say, we don't know how we're going to solve this. It's going to cost too much. There's not enough resources. The little we got, we don't know how to make it enough. And Jesus says, listen, make the people sit down. Now you could imagine in this moment asking this large group of people to act in anticipation of something that they're not confident is going to happen would probably feel foolish. It would probably feel silly to be like, um, excuse me, people, Jesus has asked all of you to sit down in this moment because they know that they're hungry. They know that they don't have enough food to feed them. They know that there's not enough resources to meet the needs of these people. But Jesus is asking them to act in anticipation, to take a step of faith, to act forward in obedience. And so Jesus says, have them sit down. The only reason he would have had them sit down is because of what was going to come, because of what was around the corner about what would happen. But they had to act in the present moment without all of the information. I think in our world that we find ourselves in today, both kind of on a macro level and on an individual and micro level, I think that we have to start acting more in anticipation rather than acting in the limitations. There are lots of limitations in this world. There are lots of problems. There are lots of reasons why not. But I think God is calling us to be a people that acts in anticipation, that begins to move in preparation for what we believe in faith that God can do in us and in our lives and through us in this world. And so Jesus says, make the people sit down. And then there's a note, there's a nice carpet of green grass. And they sat down, about 5,000 of them, and then Jesus took the bread and he gives thanks to God. He acknowledges the source where all of this is going to come from. And he gave it to those who were seated. And he did the same with the fish. So he takes these small five loaves of barley. He takes these two little sardines. And he begins to give them to the disciples. To give to the people. You can imagine in the moment how silly the disciples felt. Because here they are. They've got their little loaves and they've got their fish and they go to the first group and, you know, they go to tear off a piece and they're like, okay, don't take too much. Just a, just a little bit. And they hand the first little piece off and then they hand the next little piece off and they hand a little, and it keeps going. And many of you know how this story goes. They keep distributing it and they keep distributing it. Even though they didn't have everything that they thought they needed to have in the first place. Even though there was no financial resources available to obviously and immediately solve this need. Jesus does something with what was brought to him. Jesus does something with what was given, with the sacrifice that was made. And he allows them to participate in something miraculous. He allows them to participate in something supernatural because they were willing to act and to move in obedience with what could be. With what God was wanting to do in their lives and in that moment and in the world. And so my question for us as a church is, will we be this type of people? Will we follow in this example? Will, will we be the type of people who shows up to all of the problems that we see in our community, to all the problems that we experience in our lives and say, you know what, it's going to be way too expensive to do that. 
We don't have enough people. We don't have enough resources. We don't have enough time. Our facilities aren't large enough. There's too many restrictions. There's too many obstacles. There's too many problems. If you knew the reason and the list of all of the why nots, we wouldn't be able to accomplish anything. And you know what? We'd be right. When all we see are the problems and the limitations, we're right. We can't do it. But if we can act in faith, if we can act in anticipation of what God can do through us and through the little that we have, we can be a part of something unbelievable. And so this is what happens. They give the bread and they give the fish to everybody. And all, everyone there, all the thousands of people, they ate as much as they wanted. These hungry, these tired, these exhausted, these searching, these longing people come from miles and miles away and they show up to Jesus and the people around Jesus they move past their limitations they they move past all of the reasons why not and they say God here's what we got will you do something with that God I know it's not a lot I know it's just five loaves of barley I know it's some simple tortillas and it's just a couple of small fish but God I believe that you can do something with this What if we could do the same thing as a church in response to all of the hurting, all of the searching, all of the hungry and exhausted people that exist in this world, all of the people looking for something to truly satisfy them, people who want to eat till they're finally filled? What if we could take what little we have? For some of us, our little is more than others, but for all of us, it's insufficient to the need. But what if we could come together as a people to offer our gifts, our time, our talents, our energies, our resources, our enthusiasm, our prayers. You know, when you take the oath to be a member of a church, they ask you those questions. Will you support the church? And depending on the church that you join, they ask you, will you, you know, support the church with your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness? Those things alone aren't enough. But in the hands of God, They're more than enough. And so my question is, are we going to be a more than enough kind of people? Are we going to be a church that takes what we have and that offers it up to God and say, God, I know it's only five five little barley loaves and two little fish, but we anticipate what you can do with this. We are trusting in faith. We are stepping out in faith. We're going to be obedient. We're going to ask people to go ahead and sit down because we know that there is a feast coming. We know that with the little that we have, God, you can do something unbelievable through it, and we just want to be a part. God, let us get out of the way. God, we acknowledge the limitations, but we know that you can exceed them. God, we're going to hand this over to you, and we're going to be a people who are committed in faith to the work that you can do through us. God, help our unbelief. Help us to trust you in greater measure. And God will take it, and he will bless it, and then he will distribute it. And when God distributes, everybody has all that they need. And this is what happened. When the people had eaten their fill, he said to the disciples, gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. There's no waste when we serve to God. There's no waste no matter the size of the gift when we give to God. God will use it. And he will make sure that we gather all that's left so that we can make sure that there's something more done with it. 
They went to work and filled 12 large baskets with leftovers from the five barley loaves. Another version of this, they says that they gathered up all of the fragments and there was an abundance. That's not the picture of what God wants to do in our lives, is to take the fragments and turn them into abundance. To take this church and take all of the fragments of our gifts and our energies and our resources and turn them into abundance, I don't know what is. In this next year as a church, I believe that God is going to take our fragments. He's going to take the leftovers. He's going to take the small offerings that we have, all of the ways that they're not sufficient on their own. And through the power of his spirit, he is going to work through them and miraculous things are going to happen in our community. Miraculous things are going to happen in our lives. God is going to do something supernatural with our humble offerings, with this humble church. We don't have to be the biggest. We don't have to be the largest. We don't have to have the highest numbers or the largest salaries or budgets or any of those things. None of that matters because we can be the church with great faith. That we step out in obedience and we recognize that limitations are nothing when we present our resources to God. That's what I believe God is calling us to be in this next year of our life, a church with great faith, a church that leads by example, a church that moves past our limitations and acts in anticipation of what God is going to do in our life. And this is how it all ends. When the people saw the supernatural sign that Jesus had just done, they realized that God was at work among them. When the people saw the supernatural sign that Jesus had just done, they realized that God was at work among them. This is what awaits us in this next year. A group of people who come together and say, God, it's not a lot, but it's what we got. We're going to give it to you because we know that there is a crowd of hungry, exhausted, searching people looking for something that will satisfy their hearts and their minds and their souls. And so, God, we give you what we have. And we know that you're going to do something supernatural with it. And when you do, they're going to be drawn to you and recognize you as God. This is my prayer for us as a people, that we would take stock of our lives and take stock of what we do have available to give to God. That if we've been sitting on the sidelines not wanting to share, not wanting to give because we realize or we think and we you know, we doubt and we call it too little. Well, God, it's only this much or it's only that hour a week. Or God, I see all of the reasons why what I have to offer you isn't enough. That we would be a people who recognize that it's not what we give, but what God does through what we give. Through our time and our energy and our resources that God can take a small offering and he can turn it into abundance. That we would be a people who would say, God, do something supernatural through us. I'm so excited to see what God does in this next year of our life. What he does through your lives in the days and the weeks and the months that are to come. My prayer would be that we would be a people of faith and that God would astonish us with his abundance. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for this morning, for this opportunity to celebrate all that you have done. God, as we move forward in this next year, let us move forward in confidence. Let us move forward in encouragement. Let us move forward in faith, acknowledging that it's not about the quantity of what we bring, but it's about the enormity of who you are in this world, that you can do something supernatural through our very humble and very meager offerings, God. 
So God, let us be a people of faith. Let us be a people who anticipate all that you can do in our lives and in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you live in the Dallas area, we would love for you to visit us. For directions, service times, and more info, visit us at grove.org.